Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. John chapter 1, that's going to be up here on the screen, um, verses 4 and 5. Um, and I just read it out loud like we've done last week. And um, we'll go for it, okay? But none of this wimpy stuff. Give me some, you know, really good, boisterous stuff. Okay, you ready? Set, read. In him appeared life, and this life was the light of mankind. The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. Now that is an encouraging word, right? Because as we know, I mean, we've all, you know, kind of been in this unprecedented time. We've got all these situations going on. We're walking through COVID. We're walking through all these things, you know, and now they're trying to say, oh, watch out. Here comes the next wave of whatever, what is it, Omicron or whatever. And so I probably butchered that. But anyways, and it's coming. And so watch out. It's going to be the, the worst winter ever for it and stuff like that. But when you take a look at a scripture like that, you're able to say, you know what? Yeah, it's out there, but I have a whole nother level of hope. I have a whole nother level of trust in the God that I serve. Because no matter the darkness that spilled out, right, over the course of this world, and even in the course of, of, of these darkened times, man, the light of Jesus still shines, right? His word is still true over everything else. And see, that's where we got to get to the point where we, we begin to recognize that and say, you know what? Darkness cannot snuff out Jesus. He can't snuff out this light. He cannot snuff out this light. And what's great about it is you and I are called to be witnesses of this life, this light that Jesus shines. And so we, we just want to get us in this season to recognize that, you know what, even though we may be walking through a weary season, maybe a, a time where we, we really struggling with joy because of all the stuff we hear on the news, all the stuff that we, we are, that's presented before us, we want us to get to the point where we're looking at it and saying, no, you know what, yeah, it's out there, not denying it, but you know what, I have this hope that is greater than anything else because I have this relationship with Jesus. That's what it comes down to. When it, when it comes down to everything in this life, it comes down to a relationship with Jesus. And my heart has been for us to just kind of recognize and to grow in that relationship with him. To understand that, you know what, in order to shift, you know, um, the, the, the title of the, uh, the series is A Weary World Rejoices. In order to shift or allow that stuff to become something that begins to peel off of us, we have to press in to our relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't, then all of that weight, all of that pressure, all of the anxiety and stress and the things that we carry become so overwhelming that, man, we're just, we're not, we're weary. We're not joyful, right? We actually need to go to Starbucks or, or drink an energy drink just to have joy or have energy in our life to make it through the day. Because we get up and go, ah, oh, just another day. But see, God wants us to have this relationship going. So we have to learn how to readjust our time to be with him. Because he's always available, right? He's always available. He's always there waiting. We talked about last week about this table that he's prepared for us. He wants us to come to the table. But he's always available. Yet, we're the ones that sometimes make the excuse I'm not available. I've got too much ahead of me, too much going on. And, and you know what? Really, I, man, there's so much weight. I don't even feel like it. Have you ever been in that? I don't even feel like it because there's just so much weight and so much pressure on us. But see, what we want to get to the point is that actually in that pressure, we have a thrill of hope, right? We've kind of based some of this a little bit off that, that, that song, Oh Holy Night where it says, a weary world rejoices. 
And we want to get to that point where we're able to rejoice. We're able to go beyond this weary world and say, you know what? Yeah, I see all that. I know that's all there. I, I know I can experience. And maybe I, I even walking in a little bit of it. But you know what? My hope is in the Lord. Right? And what, what is Bible hope? It's our confident expectation of what God promised and his faithfulness to bring it to pass. And so I, looking at God's word, you say, you know what? I'm confident. That God, what he has said in his word, he is faithful to bring it to pass. Right? No matter, no matter what is going on. And I like to refer it to a hope meter. Right? Where's your hope meter gauge? Where, where's it at? Is it like on hope? Or is it like wavering back to like maybe no hope? And, I, and I'm not really believing that God is going to come through even in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my struggles. But see, that's the thing where we have to understand the more time we spend with him, the more the weariness begins to drop off because there's joy in serving the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength, but there's joy in it. And, and as you take God's word and you spend time within this relationship, then all of a sudden you begin to, to under, have this stuff peel off of you. And you're like, yeah, I know it's there. I get it. But you know what? I have this hope. I have this anchor to my soul. And that is Jesus, because he is this, this light and this life that, I'm, that I'm, I'm going after, right? And so we want it to be able to ignite something in us beyond Christmas. Um, you know, yeah, Christmas is great, but man, even beyond that, so that we're not just, oh yeah, man, we're celebrating Jesus's birthday, even though I'm not really sure December 25th is his birthday, but we're celebrating his birthday, but see, beyond that, we should be celebrating him every day with, with spending time with him, right? And so our focus must be about pursuing him. So in these last two weeks, we shared, or I shared two essential things that I felt like was very, very important for us that will help us kind of maintain or, or to dive in deeper in our relationship with him to keep our focus on him. And one, the first one was we talked about um, you and I having a humble heart. That we don't walk in pride. We don't walk in this, this feeling like, you know, I don't need God right now. I can handle it. I'll figure it out. I can do all this stuff. Well, the Bible says that, you know, God, God doesn't give any honor to those who walk in pride. He gives grace to the humble. But he kind of despises that pride in our life where we forget about him. Right? He's, he's there. He's kind of back in the corner of the recesses of our mind. We know a little bit. Yeah, okay, we got it. But man, we keep just moving and focusing our life on what we feel we need to do. And man, he, he's like, no, it's not about you. It's about me. And if it's about me, then I'll help you take care of all those little pieces. All those little like things that pop up and happen in your life. Man, look to me and I will give you wisdom. Look to me and I will give you direction. Look to me. And I, I man, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I want to be there every step of the way. And so here we had, we looked at Mary, right? Having a humble heart. Mary had this humble heart. And then last week we talked about open eyes, open ears. And we talked about the shepherds. About how the shepherds received the invitation. They could have said, nope, sorry, too busy. You know, we're, we're looking after these, these sheep that, that have to go to the temple to be sacrificed. But no, they were like, okay, let's go. Let's go do this thing. And so those are some of the things that help us develop this relationship, develop our time where weariness can begin to come off of us. And so today our title is, um, called a right heart. So we had a humble heart, open eyes, open ears, but we're going back to a right heart. And as we've done in the last couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at one more Bible character, okay, in the Christmas story, who honestly, I don't think gets enough PR, who doesn't get enough credit for who he was and who, what, what God was doing in his life. And that guy's name was Joseph, okay? We all heard of Joseph. I mean, we put so much emphasis on Mary, right? And we focus on that. But man, what was it about Joseph that God saw in him in order to make him the foster father of Jesus? You ever thought about that? I, because here, here's the thing. God doesn't do random. He just doesn't. And so here he is, 
and he's, he's scouring, right? He's looking throughout the world. And he finds Joseph and he goes, that's the guy I want to help raise my son, Jesus. What a responsibility. I mean, talk about, I mean, not only, I mean, here's Mary's life, but talk about a responsibility as the spiritual head of a home. And you're the one that's supposed to raise Jesus? That's mind-blowing, right? But see, God doesn't do random. We, we know in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So we know that Joseph must have been loyal to God, right? This is what Luke 16, 10 says. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. Think about that. If you will be faithful in the little things. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Scott? Well, that means when God gives you responsibility or something that, for you to do, and even if it's small, and I'll just say this, even if it's just opening the door on a Sunday and allowing people to come in, He'll, he'll increase because you're faithful at it, right? Even if it's, you know, being faithful to just, you know, give on a Sunday. Hey, I, man, it's my time to give. I'm going to give, whatever that is. Just being faithful in the little things. God said, you know what? Then I know that I can increase and give you more. I can give you more things. So it says, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be, uh, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are, are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And so here we are. We're looking at, at Joseph again. And Joseph had some things going on in his life that, man, I, I wanted us to look at today. Because I feel like they're important in order for us to understand just, you know, what, what it is that God saw in Joseph in order for him to give him such a big assignment. Because for each one of us, I truly believe there is an assignment that God has for you. Each one. Not, you know, and, and I don't know what that looks like personally, but I know when it comes to the church corporately, this body, there is an assignment that God has given to us as a church to do, right? And as the campus pastor, I'm the one that's supposed to hear from God and understand what God's saying and then be able to send it to you, give it to you, witness it to you. And then as a church, we're supposed to rally around that assignment, aren't we? We're supposed to say, yeah, let's go. Let's go do this thing. And so, listen, I, I keep coming back to, God says, be faithful in the little things, right? Okay, so what can Kataba, what can we do, the little things that we can do to begin to be faithful in so that he can give us more and more and more? Because that's what I would love to see at this campus, more and more and more. I'm not satisfied with the little, nothing wrong with the little. But man, I want to see God move more and more and more. That more, just, just stuff begins to happen because the Spirit of God is moving. And I'm getting way off a subject here. But man, I, it's just in my heart to share with you. And so coming up in this next year, man, I, I'm getting before the Lord and asking the Lord, 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 what is it that you want our campus to do in this community? What is it that you want us to begin to, to, to put into place this assignment you have for us? And so that God can go, okay, let me give you this. And if you're faithful in that, then you know what? I'm going to start increasing. Okay? Previews of coming attractions, I guess. Okay? So let's get back. Who's this guy, Joseph? Okay? Who is Joseph? Now, we know the Bible doesn't say much about him at all, really. 
we just kind of get him in, in the midst of what's going on. But, but one of the things that you can start kind of pulling things together and when you start doing some research and, and looking at some theologians and, and Bible scholars and historians and all that, there's a lot to kind of that, that's gone on in, in Joseph's life of, of who he is. But one of the things it does show, the Bible does, is that he had a right heart. He had a right heart. Now, by saying a right heart, I'm not necessarily saying he was perfect. Because a lot of times we think, well, man, he must have been completely perfect, spot on. I, I, I obviously don't know Joseph, but I'm thinking he was a guy just like us. But man, he had to be disciplined in his life. He had certain things in his life. And so when I say that, I, I'm really thinking about how the fact that, man, I, I believe that Joseph was honest. He, he wasn't a guy who, who, who would, you know, cut corners or, or kind of like say something but not do it. Okay, I, I believe he operated with well intentions. He was sensitive and spiritually attuned to the voice of God. And he was faithful. I, I think those are some things that God saw in him. And, and this heart, I believe, was so passionate about connecting to God that he had this unwavering devotion to follow after God, to follow after his word, to do those things that God had called them to do. And because of that, God was able to give him this special assignment that nobody else in that time could do because of who he was. So, before we get into our points today, I, I want to dive just a little bit deeper into kind of Joseph's uh, life and his past. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says this, is this not the carpenter's son? They're talking about Jesus, right? And they're like, hey, isn't he the carpenter's son? Now, right away, I think those words usually give us this picture that, um, you know, that, that carpenters like Joseph were, were kind of poor, that they really didn't make a lot of money. They didn't really have much in, in that. But here, here's the thing about it. In, in the Greek word, the context of the Greek word doesn't line up with that thought. It, it doesn't. Because carpenter is the Greek word tekton. Say tekton. Very good. Okay. It's where we get the word technology. And in the New Testament, tekton describes a person that is highly advanced in whatever skill he possesses. Okay? Highly advanced. So it depicts one who makes exquisite furniture, jewelry, mosaics, and one who does stonework or woodwork. And it also kind of gives this idea, according to historians, that it most likely refers to maybe even a project or building supervisor. So it doesn't sound... If you go based on what the content of the Greek word is, it doesn't sound that, that Joseph was this kind of just poor woodworker guy who was just kind of, you know, barely making ends meet. And because of that, God decided, oh, you're perfect. The perfect guy. Instead, because of his highly advanced skills, right, Joseph most likely was highly paid, was, was paid very well was somebody who was a professional and he had authority in his field, which kind of just debunks what we've been taught about Joseph. How Joseph, you know, because, you know, you look at the Christmas plays that you go to, and what, Joseph's never the guy that talks. Joseph's always kind of the guy in the background, you know, just kind of, you know, whatever. And then Mary's the one that does all the work with baby Jesus and all that. So he looks kind of like this guy. But here, if we, if we follow the word... And we follow the content of it. It's the fact that, you know what? No, he, he was very, very much a, a, an authority of his field. He had things going on. He, he was not just some lonely guy to just, you know, kind of God randomly picked out of his cosmic fishbowl, right? Instead, God saw something different. Also, we know in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, that Joseph lived in Nazareth, okay? Now, that city, or that, that, that was a small village, Jewish village, that only had about 400 to 500 people living in it at the time. So that's pretty small. That means like everybody knows your business, right? Don't you hate that? 
Just like, oh my gosh. That's like, you know, you go to, our, okay, so I'm a Hallmark Christmas guy, right? But you, you look at these Hallmark Christmas things, and it's always in a small town. It's either up in, you know, snow, or it's out in the, in the um, um, you know, by the, the, by the lake or a, uh, um, something like that. And they're small towns, and everybody knows everybody's business. That would, like, drive me absolutely nuts, Right? But here, here it is. It's a town of 450 people, and scholars are almost certain that Joseph then must have worked as a tecton in the city of Sepphoris. Sorry, Sepphoris. Okay, that was only four miles away. Now I have a little picture here, a little little diagram or whatever, um, kind of gives you an idea of kind of what that is. And you think, well, what's the really huge deal about this city? Okay. But Sepphoris was also the place where many historians believe that, that Mary's parents um, also worked, that he was part of the synagogue there. And that's where they believe that Joseph probably met Mary. Okay? And this, this city was developed by Herod Antipas, who he, and basically he was one of the sons of, of Herod the Great. And his goal in developing the city was to make it magnificent. He called it the ornament of Galilee. That's what he wanted. He wanted this thing to be, just be this beautiful city. So he poured a ton of money into building this city. Right? So it was developed. And then, history says, it became the, the bank center or the center of banking for the Middle East. From there... Right? Then many businesses and institutions followed, and they were bringing wealthy people in to live there. It even turned into a place where uh, they were like the trendsetter of the culture in that day. And so, Sepphoris had all kinds of things going on. It was a wealthy city. And so many think that a lot of people from Nazareth would go to Sepphoris and work there. Because, you know, it was only four miles away, not a very long journey. There was only 400 to 500 people there. And so they would work there and they would go and, and build. Or they would go and, and do other things that were there. But, but historians believe that then what happened was, is that Joseph was a, a major guy in helping develop and build the city. Because he had all of this skill. He had all of this, this uh, construction I think he was able to, um, you know, uh, uh, carve out stone and things like that. And so the reason why I'm telling you all this is because it's important to realize that this city possibly had a major influence on Jesus and his family. Because if you think about it, if Jesus' grandparents, Mary's parents, were there, he probably went to the city to visit it a lot, to visit them, Right? As he grew, he probably joined his father in the business and would go the four miles and he would begin doing whatever it is that he needed to do because we know that he, Jesus had this, this ability, the same as his dad, probably taught him how to be a, a um, builder or how to be a carpenter, how to be a skilled tecton. And so understanding that, then Jesus had spent some time in that city, right? And so I, when you start putting the pieces together, then you start to realize, okay, well, maybe that makes sense because, you know, him and his ability to, to be there, Jesus then was, it was exposed to wealth and um, architecture and culture, which then gave him insights and analogies about life, money, building that he then spoke about. That he preached about. I mean, you start adding it up. Like, how did he know about these things about the chief cornerstone? How did he know about all of these things? It's kind of laced in the background. So Jesus had all of this, this understanding. And then I take it a step further. I think in Nazareth, he probably learned about farming. Right? When he talks about the sower went out to sow the seed. So Jesus has all of this stuff that he's, he's, he's gaining. He's getting. And then the Holy Spirit, yay, takes what he's learning, takes the things that are coming into his life, and the Holy Spirit uses it when he's out preaching. 
See, the things that you have learned, the things that, that you have experienced, the Holy Spirit can use to reach other people. The Holy Spirit can use you to reach other people because of your past experience. And so I look at that and think, man, man, Jesus, Jesus got all of this stuff. He's, he's encountering all this because his ministry didn't start till what? He was 30. And so during that time, I'm sure he was working with his dad. His dad was pouring into him. His dad was talking to him, sharing things with him, blowing him away with probably stories about how Jesus was born, you know, type of stuff. But he had all this opportunity, and then he's seeing all of this culture so that when he's out amongst the people, he's able to relate to them so very well that they're like, oh, yeah, I understand that. Right? I get that. And so here's Joseph, right? He is devoted to God. He's devoted to God's laws. And I just get this picture of God watching him all throughout his life. Just watching what he does. But see, here's, here's the amazing thing about it. God watches you all the time right? He watches you all the time. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, right? At Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 says, for God sees everything you do. Man, that should make you tremble sometimes. For God sees everything you do and his eyes are wide open. He's not like, you know, squinting at you. No, he's like, what? It says wide open as he observes every, I love this, single habit you have. Every single habit, good or bad, God's eyes are wide open. The message says it this way. It says, mark well that God doesn't miss a move you make. He, he's aware of every step you take. I think that's where the police got that creepy song, right? Kind of, I'll be watching you, right? Or whatever, however it goes. It's creepy, isn't it? I mean, I know it's about a long lost love or whatever, but still it's creepy. Okay? But see, here's the deal we got to realize. God's not just watching you in the big things. He's watching you in the little things. Scripture tells us that the little foxes are what spoil the vine. Those little tiny things in your life. Man, you're trying to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but the little foxes, these little things come in and it tears it away. It stops it from going where, how far, right? You might be getting going good and all of a sudden, man, you're starting to see some fruit and all of a sudden, man, you allow something back into your life that eats away that fruit. And so we've got to understand that God is looking after everything. So here, here, this just brings the question. Do you prove yourself faithful, honorable, and uncompromisable? I think that I made that word up, right? Because I, I don't think it's in the dictionary. In your pursuit of God. Are you uncompromisable? Like, man, no. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to tear me away. I don't care if the little foxes come. I don't care whatever comes my way. It's not going to change. Are we that way? Because when we become that way, then God can trust us with a bigger assignment. God can trust you with a bigger assignment. That's what happened for Joseph. When God recognized and as he was looking, he realized, I can trust Joseph because you know what? He's faithful. He's not going to compromise. He's honorable. He's, he's in pursuit of me. And he proved that he has a right heart. Right? He proved that. And because of those things, we can see this, by the way, Joseph, right? All of these things we can see because Joseph handled this situation that was presented to him. Right? This unexpected situation. I mean, here's Joseph. He's got everything going for him. Right? He's a hard worker. He's, he's got his building career going and his carpentry business going or whatever. He's betrothed to Mary. I think two weeks ago I said betrothed to Mary. That means he was choking her, but he's not. It's betrothed, which I had no idea I said, according, but my family knew and pointed that out like after service. Uh, thank you, family, for that. But um, he was betrothed to Mary. And I, I just bypassed. I didn't even realize I said it. Okay. But, he, but, but, and then here's Mary. She's, you know, from a strong, godly family. 
And then all of a sudden, all of this. So everything's going according to his plan. To his plan. It's perfect. I, man, it's all set up. And then all of a sudden, this test comes. Where Joseph now is encountered with something else. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Okay? Now, this leads us to our first characteristic I want to look at um, because here, here Joseph is. He's developing this relationship, this daily pursuit of God. And the very first point I want to make is that Joseph was just. Joseph was just. Oh, I guess I didn't put man on there in my notes. But, but Joseph was, a, okay, a just man. Now, a just man in the Greek refers to one who is righteous, virtuous. One who endeavors to do the right thing before God and man daily. Not just sometimes, not just on an occasion or on a Sunday. But it's a daily thing when you're doing the right thing before God and man. Right? And it's regardless of the circumstances that are presented to you. Or what other people think. Because sometimes people can think one way and that can sway our opinion or sway our commitment. So when Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant, he knew he wasn't the baby daddy. Right? He knew it. But he knew that if it got out, it would be very damaging to his reputation, very damaging to his career and his future. But, right? So you can automatically think, well, man, he's justified. But see, that wasn't Joseph. He was a just man. He was not concerned about what it meant for him. He was concerned about what it meant for Mary. He was putting her first. Right? Because in that time, man, when a girl was pregnant before she was married, she was humiliated. There was humiliation. Right? There was public embarrassment. Even to the point where, where they could stone her because of that. Man, I mean... That's crazy. But see, Joseph chose for that not to happen to Mary because he was a just man, right? I mean, he was well within his rights, but because he loved Mary, he wanted to make sure that she was taken care of, that she was hidden, put away kind of so that people wouldn't know. I think that's why she was kind of sent off to go see Elizabeth for so long. But he wanted to make sure that she was going to be protected. And that meant then his reputation, his future could have been on the line, could have been out there, but he didn't care. He was willing to sacrifice that reputation. He was willing to sacrifice his future to protect and ultimately to obey who? God, right? Not his parents, not his aunt and uncle, not those that would be like, what? How could that even be? She, you need to get rid of her now. You need to stone her now. Right? Instead, he's like, no, now I'm, I'm going to obey God's voice. I'm going to obey what God is saying. Right? And it's in that same spirit that Joseph was a great example to Jesus as Jesus grew up. Right? Like I said, I, I just imagine Joseph having opportunity to sit and talk with his son. To sit and say, hey, you know what? This and that. And let me share with this. And then really displaying godly character to Jesus. I mean, yeah, he was God's son, right? So he had that going for him. But also he was human. He had that, that, that nature. Yet he was without sin. But man, what, what an opportunity for, for Joseph just to kind of pour in to Jesus. Because I look at it, and man, Joseph was God's man because of his devotion to do the right thing before God. And really, I think, too, in some ways, that example then carries over because God wanted, as, as Jesus grew, God wanted Jesus to have that same conviction about putting others first, right? Or, or, or doing the right thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 2. This is kind of on the backside of 1. 
says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He took our shame. What did Joseph do? Joseph wanted to hide Mary, to take away her shame. And here Jesus is, he, he sees this example that maybe uh, Joseph had an opportunity to pour into his life and about, hey, you know what? I wanted to make sure that your mom was, was safe and amen, she wasn't getting humiliated and all this stuff. And, I, and I, 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 I made sure that she was taken care of, that she was protected. Man, that pours into you, I think, as a son. And so here Jesus, he endures the cross, despising our shame. He took our shame. And then it says, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of, of God. So what's your conviction? Is it to be swayed by the opinions of others? So that, right, you don't stick to God's directive and basically you avoid being despised? Is that a conviction for us? Right, so we can navigate out of hard situations or do we stay locked in? Do we say, well, I, I don't care. What people think of me, I don't care what people say about me. I don't even care if this brings up hard situations and hard conversations. I'm locked in. I'm committed to this relationship. I'm a just person. I'm, I'm more concerned about God than I'm concerned about you. Although I'm concerned about you, but I'm more concerned about what's going on with, with my relationship with God. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Right? We are to obey first. We are to obey first. And you know what? I'll throw this in too. What about, uh, you know, do we, do we run from people? Because, you know, it might tarnish our reputation. Because there's people that maybe aren't perfect. That got issues. That got situations. But who, who else is going to show them Jesus? Who else is going to say, hey, I, I, I'm with you? Right? We're especially supposed to do that with brothers and sisters in the Lord because we fail, right? We're not all perfect. We have those times. So we're supposed to do that. But what about those that we know that don't know Jesus? And we might be the only Jesus they get to see, the only Jesus they get to experience. And are we willing sometimes to lay our reputation or our, our whatever somebody might say about us? in order to help them see God, right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, okay? So this is like kind of a picture of somebody, you know, carrying a heavy load, sagging under a heavy load. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Not, you know, but hey, I'm gonna, I want to help you. I want to help you navigate this. I want to help you get through these things. Keep watch on yourself, right? Or keep watch over your own heart, lest you too be tempted. And then it says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the, the command is simple, right? I mean, look for someone with a burden and help them out. Help them walk through it. Who cares about your reputation? Who cares about, as long as you're doing it before the Lord, man, there is great, I'm going to say reward, but there's just a greatness about that, that God will honor, God, God will, will, will bless you for it, but it isn't complicated. And then the second characteristic of Joseph that was developed by his daily pursuit was I'm going to read it up here because I guess I messed it up. Joseph was a sensible man. Joseph was a sensible man. Uh, Matthew 1.20 says, But while he thought about these things. Okay, so remember, Mary tells him, Hey, I'm pregnant. Whoa, wait a minute, I'm not the baby daddy. Uh, he thought about it. Because you would think most people would fly off the handle. What? Right? You know, totally going bonkers. So the word thought in the Greek refers to inner passions that cause something to turn over and over in his mind. 
as one endeavors to determine, listen, the right solution. As a believer, we shouldn't go all crazy crazy. We should think first. We should ponder. We should be asking God, God, what do you think? What's the answer to this solution? What's the answer to the problem? What is it that I I need to position myself to be able to hear from you? So we look at it and, and through scripture, right? Joseph chose not to act emotionally. See, we usually, right, act emotionally first. And then somewhere along the line, we come back to God and say, okay, God, God, um, help me out here because I've already blown it. I've already said some things I shouldn't have said. I've already put myself in a position that I shouldn't be. When God said, you know what? All I needed you to do was to think first. To think about it. Process it. Let it, you know, something that I can begin to talk to you about. And so Joseph didn't go all crazy. He didn't like freak out. At least according to what I read in Scripture, he began to think about it, and he began to say, okay, what is the right solution to this situation? But see, again, Joseph is displaying and talking probably to Jesus down the road as he grows about the same principle. You know, Jesus, I could have totally freaked out on your mom. In fact, you know what? If, if he had a brother, I don't know if he had a brother. But my brother, he wanted me to freak out. He wanted me to be all emotional. But man, you know what? Because I've spent time with God. I have this relationship with God. I knew the first thing I needed to do was to think it through. To ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom and insight. What is it that I need to do regarding this situation? Because... Jesus, you can't be led by your emotions. You can't be led by them. But see, that, that's where we kind of falter sometimes. We get led by our emotions, right? We get with this, this feeling inside. Because see, I think too, God wanted Jesus to, to know that or to experience that because one day Jesus is going to have to make a decision himself to not be led by his emotions. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23 said this. This is talking about Jesus. He never sinned and he never spoke deceitfully. When he was verbally abused, he did not return an insult. When he suffered, he would not threaten retaliation. Think about that. He wasn't led by his emotions. His emotions would have had him Right on it. But instead, he kept his mouth. The Bible says he kept his mouth quiet. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges righteously. Right? So how do you get there? Well, I mean, emotions are okay. Don't get me wrong. Right? I mean, I cry at Hallmark movies. I cry at whatever. Um, I cried at that commercial you shared on Facebook, Leanne, about the Chevy car or whatever. Um, so I cry. Emotions are okay, right? But I can't have my emotions drive me. They can't, they can't cause me to, to go somewhere I'm not supposed to go. Okay? And so here, Joseph had legal ground, but he didn't because he had this relationship with God that, based, that was based on trusting God for everything. Yeah, this is pretty big. This is pretty crazy. Oh my gosh, so many things can happen. But I'm going to kind of sit and maybe meditate and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Because my emotions want to go crazy. They want to go cray cray. But right now I know the most important thing I need to do is to, to gather those things, keep them in a box, and then say, Lord, what is it? What is the solution to my situation. But see, that's all because Joseph had equity in his relationship with Jesus. I mean, with with God. He had this equity built up. Are we building equity in our relationship? Every time we come to him, like we talked about last week, we come to the table and sit at the table that he's prepared for us. We're building equity in our relationship with him. So that when things like that happen or situations like that arise, man, we're not 
blown away and letting our emotions just go all over the place. Instead, we're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I'm going to talk to him first. I'm going to seek him first. I'm going to, I'm going to just sit and kind of wait and listen, kind of see what he has to say, right? And I'm not saying you'll hear it right away, right? Because he might be quiet. I hate when he is, but he might be quiet for a little bit. And he says, well, I want you to keep thinking about it. I want you to keep working through it. I want you to kind of see, you know, and then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, oh, that's how it was supposed to go. That's how I'm supposed to work my way out of it. And so we have to understand that, you know what, when we focus on him, it begins to eliminate our, our, um, our, our reaction or our emotions because we, we were anchored to him, Right? This is what our goal should be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this. This is in the Passion Translation. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Right? Because the culture around you wants you to live off of your emotions. I mean, if you haven't figured that out, it's true. Okay? Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. That means you're renewing your mind to God's word. This will empower you to discern God's will. God, what are you saying about this? Well, I've been taking the time and I've been reading his word and I've been having time with him and whatever. And God, God will give us the wisdom that we need. And here's the result of discerning God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Right? I'm not saying everything's like, you know, rainbows and, you know, lollipops. But man, your life, there is something about your life that just, man, I, I have full hope. I have this thrill of hope that no matter what comes my way, God is doing something. All right, let's continue our, um, this passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 24, it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Think about if he acted on emotions, he would have never had the angel of the Lord show up. At least that's what I believe. But because he took the time and said, Okay, I'm not going to, based on my emotions, I'm going I'm to think about this. I'm going to see what God wants. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and saying, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of God, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, that virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Okay, so this leads us to our, to our third characteristic, our third point that was developed in his relationship with God on a daily basis. The third one was Joseph was a spiritually sensitive and obedient. Joseph was spiritually sensitive and obedient. Now, we find that to be true because in the midst of this situation, Joseph's heart was spiritually attentive to allowing God to speak to him. Because if we're not one, if we're being led by our emotions, how often do we realize we're not really being sensitive to what God's trying to get across to us? Because we're, we're acting it out in our own natural flesh. But see, because he thought about it, he controlled his emotion. He was asking the Lord. The angel shows up. And that way we're seeing, man, he's spiritually sensitive to what God's voice is saying. And he, what? Obeyed him. Okay? And not only did he just obey, like down the road, it said as soon as he got up, what did he do? He took Mary for his wife. There wasn't a delay Oh, God, um, can you give me three days to what you just told me? I, I'll get to it, God. I promise. I'll get to it. No. If, if, we, if we look at Joseph's life, man, Joseph, like, that's what God said. That's what I'm doing. He obeyed quickly. 
And so you got to believe then, you know what, that this was not something new to Joseph about obeying God. I think there were other times that, that God was act, actually tested Joseph or had things for Joseph to do. Because recognize this. I don't, I don't know if you, you ever fall in this trap, but man, when you first have God ask you to do something and, 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 and you're not used to doing that, man, your flesh rebels, right? Your flesh is like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, that's crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's what it says to do in the word. I'm not doing that. No way. That's really hard. That's tough for me. Come on, God, you know my character. You know who I am. That's really tough for me. Well, God does, but God's all that don't matter. What you got to do is you got to be able to focus. You got to be able to say yes. But I think the more that you say yes and obey what he asks you to do, the better you get and the easier it is to do it. I think it's just how it is. I mean, I don't know if you can attest to that. But man, those first times, it's like, oh, so hard. But the more and more that I become obedient and obey God the first time, the easier it is for me to step out when the assignment might be a little more difficult. Because you might get a difficult assignment. You just never know. But we're just quicker to obey the more that we have practice, right? And so Joseph obeyed quickly. Quickly. He was ready to meet whatever challenge God had for him. Whatever God the challenge, right? He said, hey, I want you to take Mary, your wife. Yeah, I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be weird and awkward and all this stuff, but I want you to do it. Okay, God, I'm there. I'm going to do it. Hey, I want you to go witness to this person. Wait a minute, that's going to be awkward. That's going to be weird. That's going to be a hard situation. Yeah, I know. But I want you to do it. So do we get up from our slumber and say, done. I'm going to do it because I, I, I'm, I'm following after you. I'm sensitive to what you're saying. So here again, Joseph sets up this amazing example for Jesus. Right? He gets to share with Jesus. Yeah, so this took place, and then this angel showed up in a dream, and I was like, whoa! And, you know, Jesus is like, really, Dad? Whoa? Yeah, whoa! Not, I'm just adding on to that. Um, but he said to take Mary as, your, as, as my wife. And so you know what I did, Jesus? What, Dad? What did you do? I obeyed right away. I mean, think about the impact that it has in Jesus' life. Yeah, Jesus, you know, because when did the Holy Spirit really come on Jesus and he started performing his miracles? At 30. So, man, there was somebody who was pouring into Jesus' life that was giving him the tools, the things necessary for him to understand that when, man, it was time, it was time. And he could do it. Because, again, at some point, God knew down the road as Jesus grew up, he was going to need this one day. John chapter 5, verse 19 says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Not Joseph, God the father. Whatever the father does, the son also does. What does that mean? Jesus obeyed quickly. First time. God, that's what you want me to do? Father, that's what you want me to do? Oh, yeah, I'm doing it. You want me to go pray for those who can't see? Yep, doing it. Right? You want, me to, you want me to walk over to that guy's house and pray for his daughter? Oh, wait a minute. I'm doing it. And then all of a sudden, some lady touches the hem of his garment. Whoa! God, you want me to stop? Talk to her? Yeah, I'll talk to her. Okay, great. And then, boom. It was first time. All right, so let's finish up real quick. Matthew chapter 1, verse 25 says this. And um, talking about Joseph, and did not know her till she had brought, um, brought for her, well, wait a minute, and did not know her till she had brought for her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, okay? So this last characteristic I want to just go through real quick is Joseph was consecrated. Consecrated means committed, devoted, determined to finish the task at hand. Each one of us, just in our own personal relationship with Jesus, 
Are we committed? Are we consecrated to the task at hand of building a relationship with him? To be able to experience him at a different level in our life? Something for us to think about. But see, the thing about commitment, there's a price to pay for it. And sometimes commitment is never convenient. Okay? Commitment is never convenient. It may cost you something to follow through. It might cost you time. It might cost you friends. It might cost you family. It might even cost you sleep to be committed to your relationship with Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say what exactly it cost Joseph, right? But we kind of inferred that it might have put a bad rap on him. But the Bible doesn't refer to it, right? But see, what we know is that it probably did cost them something. But again, Joseph gives Jesus another great example in his conversations, in his talk with him. He gives him another great example to say, hey, you know what? You complete the task until the very end. Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Right? Did he have a moment of weakness? Oh yeah. Father, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, any way, please do it. But not my will, your will. Again, Father, if there's any, you know what I mean? But ultimately, he made the decision, you know what? I'm committed to the very end. I'm consecrated to do this. This is what you have called me to do. So the question, it brings up another question. Are you committed to follow through with what God has asked you to do? What God has asked you to do. And I mean, it could be a simple, um, if you want to call it simple, it's just spending time with him. Are you committed to spending time with him? We know that's what the Bible says. That's what he, what, what he, what he talks about in, in this. But, but what, about, what about that? Or what about increasing your time with him in his word, in his presence? Because you might say, oh, well, I got that, that first one dialed down, Pastor Scott. I'm good. Yeah, but what about him going and saying, I want more? Can I have more of your time? Can I have more of that opportunity to spend with you and to talk with you and to fellowship with you? Can I have more? What about, man, it's even, you know, increasing your church attendance. Maybe he's talking to you about that instead of maybe once a month or twice a month. It's three times or four times or whatever. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just throwing it out there. What about, what about even maybe he's saying, hey, I, this coming year, I want you to volunteer what? Yeah, I want you to get involved in your local church. I want you to get involved in church. I want you to do something. So are we committed to say, if that's what you want, I'm going to obey. If that's what you're saying, I, I'm, I'm going to obey. But whatever it is, just as God was watching Joseph, understand God's watching you. He, he, he's watching you. And he's not looking for that perfection, but he's looking for somebody with a right heart that will come and spend time, develop this heart with him so that they can, you, you can begin to, to experience the assignment he has for you. Because each of you have an assignment. You really do. You might think, oh, not me, Pastor Scott. I'm, I'm just dying. I'm nothing in the kingdom. Oh, no, you're, you're precious in the kingdom. He's given all of us different gifts. Some are really good at this. Some are really good at that. Some are really bad at that, but he's given you a different gift. Like, man, I can't build a thing. I'm terrible at, you know, trying to fix things around my house. My wife knows it's going to take a long time and there's going to be a lot of mistakes. But you know what? There's, I, I'm just throwing it. But there's other people that God's gifted with an ability to do that. But then God hasn't gifted them to stand up here and speak. Whatever that is, each one of us have been given an assignment, given us something that God wants to do. And if we're faithful in the little things, he will make us ruler over much. He will begin to bring increase into our lives. And we've got to understand that he's got this assignment for you, but stop 
sitting in your seat. I know I'm taking this a whole other direction to the end. But I'm just saying, stop sitting in your seat. Whether it's at home or in the pew or the chairs here, whatever it is, stop sitting in the seat and be able to say, okay, well, God, I'm going to press into you greater than I ever have in this coming year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to focus on you. And as you do, when you begin to speak and you begin to put some things on my heart, then you know what? I'm going to say yes, like Joseph did right away. And when I say yes, then I'm going to believe that you're going to put everything in place that needs to be put in place. And I'm going to actually find the thrill of hope, this joy of serving Jesus that we're actually supposed to be witnesses to to other people. So that the weariness of, of this, this stuff that we've experienced over the last two years begins to drop off because we're, we're just focusing on Him. We're not focused on what people are saying or what's going on. But see, God, God's just, He's desiring for each one of us just to understand that you have an assignment. And He wants you to be able to fulfill that assignment. But the way you're going to do it is by first spending time with Him. First getting connected with Him and being devoted to Him and saying, okay, I don't care, right? Because you, you might say, okay, well, Pastor Scott, I'm going to volunteer um, 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 vacuuming at the church. Every Tuesday, I'm going to come and vacuum at the church. And then you might tell some people and they're like, what? Why would you do that? Why would you go and vacuum? That's kind of, you know, can't the pastor do it? Yeah, the pastor can do it. But see, if that God's laid it on your heart to do, then I want you to do it, right? If God laid that on your heart, hey, I want to start a connect group that is got underwater basket weaving. I'm really excited about it, Pastor Scott. Can we do it? Yes. Let's do it. If that's the assignment, like, you know, I know that's kind of an odd thing, right? <laughs> but if that's the assignment that God gives to you, Let's explore. Let's figure it out. Let's see where God wants to take this thing. Because I know he's got an assignment for each one of us. But man, we've got to just press into him and develop this relationship so that, man, we, we can see it through. Okay? All right. Bow your heads. I'm going to finish right there. Father God, I thank you for um, just being here today and being in our service. You said when two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst. And so we are confident, believing that you have been here. I thank you that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Holy Spirit re reveals truth to us. And so Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are doing a work in us and leading us to have a humble heart before the Lord. To have open ears and open eyes before the Lord. To have a right heart before the Lord. So that, Lord, we would be able to, to experience um, a greater depth to our relationship with you. And so that we can fulfill the assignment that you have placed in our hearts individually. But it has to come from you. And let it come from a relationship that is growing and developing within your people. And so I thank you for our time together. Lord, um, as we're closing up this year, we thank you that you have been so faithful over this year, over the past two years. You have been so faithful to us in the midst of, of craziness. You continue to show up and you continue to show off and you continue to be just our provider, the one who cares for us, our protector, our shield. And I'm so grateful for that. And Lord, as we turn the corner into 2022, Lord, I, I'm just thanking you that it's going to be a great year. Not just because I, I need to say that, but truthfully, Lord, I am believing that it will be a great year for us. That it will be something that will be very unique and different about this year. To where we're, we're, we're following the assignment you've given to us as a body here at Catawba. And we're going after it. And Lord, we're not going to back down. We're, we're going to obey and follow your voice. And so I thank you what you're do, for what you're doing in our heart. 
I thank you that this week will be just a week where, man, every gift we want to give, there is no crowds, there's no prat, no, no ugliness. But man, it's just smooth because you're with us, right? We might face that, but because we have the hope, it's, it's all going to be smooth. And I thank you, Lord, for Christmas as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you would be with each and every family, that your presence would just be a part of all of the gift giving and all of the time and all of the fellowship um, that, that, that they experience. Because Jesus, you really are the reason for the season. And I thank you for just being in our, our, our lives. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're going to do and continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.